We've been um, looking in the past from Ephesians, and I want to um, continue with that. We've been looking the last time, a couple of weeks ago I think it was, we were looking at spiritual realities in Jesus Christ. And um, we've seen in Ephesians chapter 2 the realities of what it is to be a Christian. And Paul talks about um, our identity and our position as Christians in Jesus Christ. Spiritual realities that will help us to stand strong and to be overcomers in this world. We know that the world is deteriorating around us, don't we? We can see it rapidly almost every day uh, in so many ways. But that shouldn't make us afraid. It should drive us to prayer um, and belief that our God is still in control. Amen? Amen. And he still rules. And in this chapter 2 of, um, of Ephesians, Paul is showing us, he lays out our past, our present and our future. So we don't need to go to fortune tellers or look at the stars in the newspaper. Jesus has already laid out our future. We can know for certain the future that he has for us. Amen. And last time, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, looked at three spiritual realities. We looked at um, that a Christian is loved by Jesus. A Christian is made alive in Christ. And we are raised up and seated with Jesus Christ. I did set some homework a couple of weeks ago. I'm not sure whether anyone's had a chance to do some research on what it means to... Um, to be raised and seated with Jesus. But I think when we do our own study, we often learn a little bit more, don't we? It drives us into the Bible. And um, so I would encourage you, if you, if you haven't done that, uh, to do that. I just want to read a few verses um, from Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. I'm reading from the... Um, New King James Version. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning from verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them, Therefore, remember that you, once, that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's a desperate position to be in, isn't it? Without hope and without God. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. Isn't that good news? Amen. That's wonderful news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for these um, 
spiritual realities that you've laid out in your word. And Father, as we open your word and read it and look into it this morning, open our eyes, open our understanding uh, to hear what you're saying to us, we pray in Jesus' name. So I want to move on to the next spiritual reality. The Christian is saved by Jesus Christ. And in the verses we just read there in Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. If you were to die today and stand before God, and he asked, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your answer? The question gets to the heart, doesn't it, of what we are trusting for eternal life. It's where the rubber hits the road. Some might say, I've lived a good life. I've done the best that I can. I'm basically a good person. I haven't hurt anybody. But really those are not the right answers, are they? Getting into heaven, of course, is not a matter of answering a question. But as we've already seen, it requires spiritual resurrection from the dead. We were dead in our sins. And through Jesus Christ, we've been raised up. We've had our sins forgiven and we've been reconciled to God. They, they are the, the matters that get somebody into heaven as to whether we believe that and whether we've acted on it. And of course, Satan is working overtime in this world to try and confuse people, put them on the wrong track, tell them that uh, all you've got to do is be a good person and you'll be right. But that's not what the Bible says. And um, Paul is writing this to Christians to help cement in their minds what the truth is and to make sure that they don't waver from it. Paul's message is that salvation is by grace through faith apart from good works. But your salvation will inevitably result in good works. And in many ways, grace cuts directly against the grain of human thinking. Because sometimes we think it's not fair. We value fairness. If someone's done wrong, they should pay for it. If someone's done right, they should be rewarded. Think of the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew chapter 20. The landowner goes out early in the morning, he hires men, and he agrees, and they agree, that they'll be paid the daily rate, which was usually a silver coin. And so he hires various people throughout the day, 9 o'clock, midday, 3 p.m. and 5 o'clock. Hires them at different times of the day to send them out to work in the vineyard. At the end of the day, the landowner sends to his manager, Right, pay the workers. They're day labourers. They get paid every day at the end of the day. Pay those who I 
hired last, pay them first. And so he pays them, pays them the silver coin. And of course the people who started at nine o'clock were thinking, well, you know, we should get a bit more, surely. But they get the same because that's what they agreed to work for a silver coin. And so, you know, we, we, sometimes we think grace is not quite fair. Things don't quite add up. Take someone who's a thief, steals from hard-working people. On some occasions, he may hurt his victim, he may even kill them. But he shrugs and continues in his life of crime. Finally, he's apprehended and convicted. On death row, he hears that God will forgive him of his sins if he trusts in Christ, even though he doesn't deserve it. He can't believe it. He can't believe that that could be true. It sounds too good to be true, but he trusts Christ and he becomes a Christian. He dies and goes to spend eternity with God in heaven. Or take the case of someone who's very religious. They pray several times a day, fast twice a week, give 10% of their income to religious and charitable causes. They're not murderers. They think they're doing all this Good, these good things to commend themselves but they die and go to hell some would say that doesn't seem fair now I didn't make these stories up the thief was hanging next to Jesus on the cross Jesus paid the debt for that thief to have eternal life because of his belief the religious man was a Pharisee he thought he was a bit better than everybody else, did all the right things. But with that belief, he died and he went to hell because he was trusting in his own good works to save him. Some say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. But that's like saying it doesn't matter what medicine you take as long as you're sincere. That doesn't really work, does it? If you take the wrong medicine and the wrong dose, well, you could end up dying. So sincerity really doesn't cut it, does it? And Paul says in Corinthians that the natural man, to the natural man, the cross is foolishness. He can't understand the things of God. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago. The natural man just hasn't got any idea. In fact, we were in that state once. We needed God to come and save us. We were like dead people floating face down in the water. And it was God who came and raised us from the dead. C.H. Spurgeon, some of you might have heard him, that great Baptist pastor, said... I asked any saved person to look back on their own conversion and explain how it came about. You turned to Christ and believed on his name. 
These were your own acts and deeds. But what caused you to turn? Do you attribute this to something good in you? No, you confess that there was something that touched your will, something that touched your spirit, enlightened your understanding and guided you. And that's what Paul's saying in this verse. It is by grace, through faith alone, of what Jesus did on the cross. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. And Spurgeon goes on and tells how he first became a Christian in his autobiography. When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea the Lord was seeking me. I recall the very day. And as John Bunyan says, we've heard of Pilgrim's Progress this morning, it burnt into my heart as a hot iron. One weeknight when I was sitting in church, the thought struck me, how did you become a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? The truth flashed across my mind in a moment. I should not have sought him unless there had been some influence on my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, I thought, but then I asked myself, how did I come to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. Well, how did, how did I come to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to read them? Then in a moment... I saw that God was at the bottom of it all and that he was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me and from that doctrine I have not departed to this day. I ascribe my change wholly to God. How true that is. And it reminds me of, of uh, and I've shared this testimony before, I was talking to a Hindu priest some years ago, he's now a Christian, and he had a, at the time he was a priest, he had a, a Christian come into his village and try and evangelise the people in his village. And <clears throat> he didn't know how to counteract this, this Christian. So his father was a Hindu priest as well. And his father said, I want you to go and read the Bible and try and find some, some inconsistency that we can pull out and we can argue against this Christian something that we can use as a lever. And so he went away and studied the Bible and he became a Christian. So God will cause people to pick up the Bible for a whole lot of reasons. But what we're saying here, you know, our salvation is by grace. It's God's grace. It's God working behind the scenes. You know, why did I pick the Bible up? Why did I pray? Why did I hear this? Why did I go to that meeting? It's the Lord working in all those things. So salvation doesn't depend on you, but rather on God, who is mighty to save. And that's why prayer is important. Prayer and faith will move the hand of God. And there's hope for every sinner, because God's at work. It's not up to the sinner as much as God is working behind the scenes. 
And look, probably like you, I, I pray daily for many people. Over the years, I've got to know many Hindus and Muslims overseas, great friends. When, when we travel there, we, we pick up our friendship, but they're not Christians. And so I pray for them every day that God will open their eyes, ears and hearts in some way. And we know God does that uh, in many and varied ways. And, and it's, our prayers aren't in vain because God's will is that all will come to a knowledge of him. And so we can pray in faith and with confidence, believing that God's going to act. You know? What, what, what did Jesus say? Pray, pray till the answer comes. You know? Keep praying till the answer comes. <clears throat> I write to a lot of people online every day from a whole lot of backgrounds. People come to the website just asking about God, about religion, a whole lot of things. It's another opportunity to share the gospel and to pray because God knows each and every one who is seeking. Sometimes they, they have a very casual attitude. They might write in for a joke, but God knows them. God knows their name. He knows who, who they are. And the entrance of God's word, well, God can find an entrance even into the hardest heart. Isn't that right? And so we, we need to understand these spiritual realities because if we understand them, if we believe them, if we act on them, that's what changes the world. That's what brings change. That's, that's what brings the kingdom of heaven to bear. Here's a light-hearted story to illustrate something about grace. A man dies and St Peter meets him at the pearly gates. St Peter says, here's how it works. You need 100 points to get into heaven. You tell me the good things you've done and I'll give you a certain number of points depending on how good it was. If you reach 100 points, you get in. Okay, the man says. I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her. That's wonderful, said St. Peter. That's worth three points. <laughs> three points, he says. Well, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry and service. Terrific, says St. Peter. That's certainly worth a point. One point. Golly. How about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city and worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Fantastic, said St Peter. That's good for two more points. <laughs> two points, the man cries. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. <laughs> How true it is. It's not how many good works we do, it's the grace of God that gets us into heaven. Our next spiritual reality, the Christian is created to live for Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
You know, God has taken us from nothing to being a new creation. Isn't that right? Amen. We've probably all heard about the, uh, the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. A very small science lesson here. To do this, the caterpillar attaches itself to a branch with a button of silk, <clears throat> hangs upside down, and its chrysalis forms after its final molt of caterpillar skin. After 10 days of pupation, inside the chrysalis, it emerges as an adult butterfly with all its colour and beauty. The butterfly develops through a process called metamorphosis. And this is a Greek word that means transformation or change in shape. And of course, we're all called to be transformed, aren't we? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 or 2. 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When it comes to the subject of salvation and good works, there are two serious errors that plague the church. Now, I'm not saying there's a problem in this church, but I'm talking generally. One of the uh, errors is teaches that in order to gain merit for salvation we must add good works to what Christ has done. Under this view, you can never be sure whether you're saved. You're not, you're not quite sure what your merit balance might be. Have you stored up enough? And I remember talking to a, a Muslim guy a few months ago, uh, and I asked him, can, can you be sure of your eternal life? And he wrote back to me and said, when I die, God will decide if I'm going to hell or heaven based on the things I've done in this life. Now, I was able to share with him what I believed from the Bible, but that was his belief. So he, was, he, was, he wasn't sure what his merit balance, balance was. He wouldn't know till he died as to whether, which way the scales are going to tip. What a terrible situation to... to to live with. The other error is that good works have no connection whatsoever to salvation. It doesn't matter. I'm saved by grace. I don't need good works. So that's another error. When God genuinely saves someone, that person becomes a new creation. God changes their heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. And so God wants to change the bent in our life. He wants to change our motivations, our desires and our passions to be towards him. So we're not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works, to do them. Good works are the evidence of salvation. If there are no works or change in life, then it should be questioned whether the person is truly saved. Didn't Jesus say that by their fruits you will know them? And good works are certainly part of the fruits of our salvation. The book of James, especially chapter 2, makes the point that genuine saving faith manifests itself in good works. If a person claims to have faith but has no works, 
then their claim is suspect. Their claim is faulty. And God designed us with unique gifts and talents, hasn't he? Who's got a gift or talent? Here. Some of you? If you're in Christ, all of you have got at least one. Yeah. He's given us the resources and opportunities. And so every day of our week, God wants to accomplish certain things in us and through us. Perhaps it's to encourage or pray for your spouse. Maybe he wants you to call up a friend and share a verse and encourage them. When we think of the example about the parable of the Good Samaritan, we can imagine that God wanted those first two people who passed him to render assistance. But they didn't. In their own business and apathy, they missed their opportunity. And so that's a lesson for us. God brings opportunities along every day. We have to be careful that we don't miss them. If you think that God's not using you, it's more likely from your unwillingness to be trained. Are you meeting with God each day? Are you evangelising? Do you disciple others? Do you get up in the morning and say, Lord, help me to make disciples today? Are you consistent in your prayer life? You know, all those things might sound basic, but they are the foundation building blocks for God to be able to use us. God needs something to work with. Are we giving him something to work with? Are we meeting with him? Are we communing with him? Are we meditating? Are we tapping into his resources? It's, uh, you know, we're working in partnership with him. When you work with somebody, you have to have that relationship. You have to, have to interact, don't you? And of course, God's purposes for us just don't just fall into our laps. You know, drifting is when we do nothing. We sit back and do nothing. That's when we drift. We've got, to, we've got to be people of action to actually get things done in the kingdom of God. God has a book on each one of us. Did you know that? Mapping out our destiny, our purpose and the good works that he has for us. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And you know, our job is to discover and fulfil what's in our book. Whatever is written in your book in heaven is also written on your heart. If you want to discover what's in your book, look into your heart. What are your interests, desires, aspirations, your longings, your passions? That's what God's put in there. He's put it in there for a reason because that's what he's got written in his book in heaven. They're clues as to what God has for us. Do you know what's in your book? Do you want to know what's in your book? Some examples of good works. 
Endurance is a good work. A joyful heart, a good work. Sharing the gospel. A wife caring for children is a good work. A worker not giving in to compromise is a good work. A worker being satisfied with your pay is a good work. Picking up someone else's rubbish without resentment is a good work. Making disciples. You know, we must stop dreaming about being great and just get on and do those simple things around us that come up each day. You know, we, look, we all want to be people of influence. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to leave a legacy. We want to be people that, that others can imitate in, in, a, in a good way. But there are day-to-day things around us which we can easily do if you put our mind to it. Are we sure that we are living in accordance with God's purposes and what God has laid out for it, laid out for us? And many of us, of course, we want to live our own story. It's easy, isn't it? Fairly self-centred sort of a life. We want to live our own story, but we need to trade up to God's story. We need to trade up to God's purposes and plans that he has for us. Do you think the Lord cares about how big our house is or what car we drive? I don't think he does. But he cares about his glory. He cares about getting his mission done on this earth. And of course we must come into line with that. This is not something we do in our spare time or if we've got a little bit of extra, we don't, you know, we don't just volunteer when we've got some free time for the Lord. This should be our main focus. The kingdom of heaven should be our main focus. He's looking for people of action. Are you a person of action? Are you someone who could make a bold move for God? Our time is short on this earth. I think many of us realise the older we get, the, the number of years left on this earth is diminishing at a rapid rate. But Christ has an exciting adventure for all who want it. He truly does. He doesn't always tell us ahead. He doesn't always tell us what's ahead. And it's often only one step at a time. And I've, I've shared my journey and my testimony many times. Um, the different steps that God's taken me on. And uh, for me, God's opened up so much more than I ever dreamt of. And I know when I um, first went overseas, um, I came back and one of the things that really impacted me was visiting the slums of Mumbai and seeing so many children that weren't able to, to go to school and get an education. My main focus was, look, I just want to help some of these kids get an education. That's really all I wanted to do. And um, I was able to partner with, with someone over there to do that. But, but then God starts opening up so much more. And I think for all of us, you know, you take that first step of obedience. That's what God's looking for. 
just that first step. You take that first step, then the next step, and then the next one. And before you know it, a whole lot of stuff is opening up that you never, ever dreamt of. But, you know, God's looking for obedience, and I'm sure many of you here have found that in your lives as well. But that's the exciting life that God has for us. You know? Um, we've got to be optimists. We've got to know that God has good things for us. And uh, if we start making some of those bold moves, then God will honour that and he will open things up. You probably don't think yourself as a work of art. I certainly don't think myself as a work of art. But God sees what we do not see. He sees the potential. He sees the end, the end product. He, he's, he's read our book. He knows what the end that he wants us to be. And it's, well, it probably is a work of art, but we don't see it that way. But we are a new creation. We're told that in the Bible. We are a new creation. And we need to walk in the works that he has prepared. Once we're saved, the direction of our lives should be obedience and discipleship. You know, we probably all, we all hear about being a disciple and discipleship, but I'm not sure whether we really grasp what it means. And sometimes I'm not sure whether we really want to grasp it, because being a disciple is a disciplined life. You know, it's not always doing what you want to do. And, but that's what God has called us to be, his disciples. The application is, if God has saved you by his grace, he has saved you for a life of good works. If we're not engaging in these works, then we need to confess our self-centred lifestyle and seek the Lord as to how he wants us to serve him. And he doesn't save us so as we can just live for ourselves. You know, it's too easy in our, in our Western world, in our comfort, to think, yeah, I'm saved, I'm okay. Now I'll just relax and just potter along. And that's when we drift. And that's when we lose focus. And, oh, yeah, but I'm still comfortable. And, you know, but that's the deception of the enemy. Paul asked God a question immediately after his experience on the Damascus Road. Lord, what will you have me to do? Wow. Paul had just encountered Jesus Christ. Lord, what will you have me to do? The Lord answered, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. God had already prepared Paul's future ministry. He had already written pre uh, Paul's book. But Paul had to learn how to find God's plan and what God wanted for him. And so do we. There's no shortcuts. Paul had to do it. And so do we. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for these spiritual realities. Lord, that are set out in your word. Lord, we're loved by you. We're made alive in you. We're seated with you. We're created for you to further your kingdom. 
We are saved by grace, not of ourselves. And Lord, help us to discover and walk in all of those good works that you've prepared for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Bernie. Neville said that uh, good work should be part of our life after we get saved. And it's so true. I just want to read a verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And this is the reason. And glorify your Father in heaven. Because they can see that you've changed. Something that we, Danny and me used to pick up hitchhikers on a regu regular basis and we'd always try and witness to them and we would hear the story that Neville said too, nobody can be sure about being saved. And we always carried the Bible in the car and we would get them to read these three verses. And this is the testimony that God has given us, eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And then this verse 13 is amazing. These things I have written that you who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That's our task. Our task in the world is to lead people to the light. And the light is Jesus Christ. Amen.